1: Welcome everyone to episode 263 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek and today we're going to continue along with our division previews. This time we're going to tackle the Central Division. Before we get into that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews are now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort?
2: Doing well, Brian. Um, I, I'm, I'm sort of sad, though, because we have a guest on today, uh, and, and we, we really should have gotten Scoutman along as well, because that would have been interesting. And I, I know about you know 50% of our listeners are going, who's Scoutman? Well, I'll just go on Twitter, you'll figure it out
1: hopefully more of our listeners have no idea who he is because that yes. would mean your life well i guess you could your life would be enriched once you do find out the hole but no he will never appear on this podcast as long as i'm on. That's, sorry to say but we we do have his arch nemesis duncan smith yes. a forbes contributor he writes about the detroit pistons there duncan how's it going man
3: Man, I think every podcast I've been on this summer has led with Brian. <laughs> it's,
1: <laughs>
3: it's really a strange thing to be known for, but, you know, here we are.
1: <laughs> you, I mean, that's what you get for staying up till, like, 3 a.m. every night and picking fights with a crazy guy. Yeah, well, <laughs> that is
3: where we're at, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Duncan, since I just mentioned Twitter, could you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and what any other work you want to plug?
3: Uh, yeah, uh, at Duncan Smith NBA on Twitter um, as far as other work you know I uh, cover the Pistons for uh, for Forbes um, it's, it's been kind of a slow summer uh, but the summer is almost over and we're gonna get back into it and I think that uh, was we'll some pretty good content coming up down the road
1: for sure yeah we will we'll get to the Pistons in a little bit because they have a lot of interesting storylines ahead for them but yes give Duncan a follow Not only for Pistons content, but, again, if you're online at 3 a.m., he's one of the only people awake, and he's always entertaining. (laughs) Uh, Guys, we're going to start with... We're just going to go alphabetically here. So we're going to start with the Chicago Bulls, Mort's former, current, future team. We're going to start, Mort, with Zach Levine, because we've seen some workout hype videos from him suggesting that he is really taking this offseason seriously. It seems like he's ready to shoulder that mantle as the number one scoring option for the Bulls, a possible all-star, in fact. He averaged a career high in points last year. His efficiency went through the roof compared to the year before. You know, he, he signed that four-year, almost $80 million offer sheet with the Kings that the Bulls matched. And I remember at the time, you were less than thrilled about it, just based on the outlook after the ACL tear. Now I feel like Bulls fans have kind of accepted Levine and actually kind of think he's a steal at that price. So what are your feelings about Levine heading into the season? And do you think he has a chance of being named an all-star this year?
2: Well, st- steal is too much. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of Bulls fans, you know, at least with the right <laughs> rep, say that. Um, it's, it's more along the lines of now he's on a contract that he's at, at least worth. Mm-hmm. Beforehand, like his shot selection during you know the sh- the his shortened stint with the Bulls in in the first uh, year there, that was just horrendous, and he just he was completely out of sync. Not just because of the knee, like he looked just so bad out there in terms of his decision making as well. And it seemed like he was coming to a team and just having the, the green light to do whatever he wanted. and couldn't really figure out that responsibility, and that changed last year. Admittedly, um, he he was very efficient, I think Almost a true shooting percentage of almost 58, 24 points a game almost, I think it was 23 point something. Um, mm-hmm. Got to the line a lot more than I thought he would um, and because of Jim Boylan's weird-ass offense, he didn't really get a lot of threes because he, you know, Boylan decided to run virtually everything through the post. I mean, Robin Lopez had games where he had 25 post touches so, I mean, that's where we're at. Uh, I think with a little bit more freedom and, and a little bit more trust in that knee levine can absolutely be an all-star it just depends on rounding out the rest of the game we know he can score we know he can't be efficient because he just proved it over the full course of the season um so now it's just a matter of can he become that secondary playmaker can he just step up a bit defensively instead of just losing his man off ball all the time he's actually a somewhat okay on ball defender because of his athleticism and when he has the ball in front of him, he doesn't really lose focus because he's guarding his own man. It's when he you take him off the ball, it becomes a problem. So if he can fix that just a little bit, that would go a long way. He's never going to be a plus defender, we all know that. But if he can increase his offensive production, just take a slight up, uh, you know, a slight production level up there and defensively. Yeah, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be an all-star. And and the fact that he was ranked 90, 90th on the SI top one hundred, that seems to be. Another fuel of motivation for him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the concerns linger about his defense. And I think, if anything, he's going to put up all-star numbers, probably. The thing that yeah. could trip him up is the Bulls just might not be good enough. Like, if, if you know, if they're significantly below five hundred at the yeah. all-star break, it's going to be hard for him to counter that narrative. He's putting up empty stats. But if they are close to five hundred, if they're in the playoff race then, yeah, he's probably going to have at least a real chance of making the All-Star game, which is, you know, a a promising sign to see from a guy who's still under the age of 25. Um, Duncan, the Bulls also have kind of a quandary at point guard here. They brought in Tomas Sadaransky in free agency. They drafted Kobe White at number seven when he fell into their laps. And then they also have Chris Dunn just hanging out there, who they, you know at the end of the season they were basically saying like we're set through two through five uh what does that mean for chris dunn so how do you see that point guard uh rotation shaking out this year and do you think chris dunn is still a member of the bulls after the trade deadline
3: i would be pretty surprised if he's still a member of the bulls uh barring some sort of bizarre uh bizarre development you know injuries or or whatever um I think Sanaransky is most likely going to end up starting, uh, and yeah, I think I think Dunn is probably going to be the odd man out, there's just not a whole lot of value in seeing what else he can he can deliver with the rotation that they have currently, you know?
1: Yeah, and what do you think they can even get for Dunn at this point?
2: Yeah, see that's the interesting part, because he doesn't have a whole lot of trade value, and part of that is because he's going to be restricted free agent after this summer. Um, or just a free agent if a team declines their uh, you know just doesn't offer him an offer sheet Mm -hmm. but so so there's that uncertainty there i will say this though he should have had some sort of trade value because of his defense he is a very very good defender uh, and he is actually a decent playmaker the problem lies in terms of offensive execution like he can't really get to the rim a whole lot or at least he doesn't you know his frame would suggest that he could but he Mm -hmm. just doesn't he doesn't really understand what a good shot is, and sometimes he—this is really the biggest problem, honestly. He can, he, you know, he, there are games where Sack or you know Laurie Marketing or Otto Porter, whatever, can be on fire, and then he just starts to jack up two or three shots in a row, completely ignoring you know the hot hand and the double team that comes o- over on those guys, which just messes up possessions. So offensively, he's sort of a train wreck. Mm-hmm. I, I would be interested to just. See what he would do on a contender in a sort of Tony Allen type role, just coming off the bench, playing a lot of defense, bringing some energy and some passing, and maybe that would allow him and his offense to develop on its own time. Then again, he's what 25 already, so it's not because there's a tremendous upside there. Right. But he he does have a like he's he is an NBA player, and I think we've reached that point now where Dunn is being described as some sort of G League, and we're not even close to that. So. Uh, The Bulls are are holding out because they kind of want teams to acknowledge oh, there is an NBA player in there and we have to pay something to get that type of player. Um, So there is something to him, but his trade value right now is just really bad because of that contract.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think you're right. If nothing else, he's injury insurance. You can't be sure that Kobe White's going to be ready to play a huge role right away and Sadoransky, if he goes down, then you're left with Kobe White and like Ryan Archer Diakono, <laughs> like,
2: and Shaquille Harrison. Yep. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> if nothing else, it gives you a little bit of assurance there. You could maybe play him off ball a little bit more at the play him at the two behind Levine and see if that works any better. yeah
2: Stefan. Know if the Athletic has mentioned that. Stephen No has, has really Yeah, he's he's been on that he's been banging that drum for a while. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's wrong. I mean the Bulls just released Antonio Blakeney and they are pretty thin on the wings. I mean, I even wrote a piece on Forbes basically <laughs> suggesting them to sign Carmelo Anthony. Uh right. because they're so they're so thin uh on the wings. I mean behind Porter they have Chandler Hutchinson who played forty four games last year and Denzel Valentine who played no games last year. It's it's not great. So moving down up to the two and maybe making him a pseudo wing that could be, you know, one solution.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about their front court because they have Lori Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. as the starters. Both have had. I mean, Carter's played one year, but he didn't make it through the full year healthy, and Markin's had his own injury issues there. Yeah. They did bring in Thad Young and Luke Cornett. This offseason season and free agency also got Daniel Gafford in the draft, so they have some nice insurance behind those guys. But you know, really, I think those two guys and Levine are kind of the the core pieces of this Bulls team right now, and they'll help determine kind of the ceiling of this Bulls team. So, what do you think the ceiling is for this market and Carter front court
2: this year, or generally speaking, like if they max out their potential?
1: Uh, I'm both. Let's start with this year, and then you know further down the line
2: yeah well for this season i think it's going to be marketing who takes a step up and not just because it's year three uh, but because carter had some some issues with the uh, abdominal muscle i think he needed surgery on Mm -hmm. so he's been out of it for a couple months he just haven't had the the whole summer to to get better uh, which is obviously going to hinder him a little bit going into the second year Uh, marketing last year i mean we've talked about this before coming into his second year he had the freak elbow injury in training camp i had followed him and at you know the finland national team over the summer like last year and he was looking tremendous and he lost a lot of strength after that elbow injury he just couldn't keep the strength up he had to relax so i think he actually was in a similar situation as carter is this year where because of an injury it kind of set him back he was having a tremendous summer and he I think that the february month we saw from marketing where he averaged 26 and 12 i, I don't think that's where he's going to end up but i think that is closer to the marketing that you know where he's ultimately going to end up instead of being you know the 14 and 7 guy he uh was when he just came back so uh, there's a lot of potential in marketing he needs to get better as a playmaker and as a defender Although, I kind of think public opinion has begun to underrate his defensive ability a little bit. He's not necessarily a rim protector, but he's got decent speed, and he'll cover several guys. He's actually an okay switcher, and he doesn't get lost off the ball like Levine, so he's very attuned to what's happening. It's just he needs to recognize that he's got a size advantage. But right now, it's the playmaking that needs the most help. And I think he's got it in his bag. It's just a matter of putting him in the right uh, situations. So... Jim Boylan shouldn't be posting him up, is my point, <laughs> point.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Jim Boylan. And I'm going to throw this to Duncan, since Mort, we know your feelings about him already. Um, but I feel like that really is one of the biggest questions hanging over the Bulls right now. They did give him a multi-year extension in May, so it's not like he's entering this season on the hot seat. But, you know, you look at this this young group of guys they have, marketing Carter, Levine, Otto Porter, Kobe White. Like, I would argue the Bulls have one of the best young cores in the league outside of Denver right now. The question is, is Jim Boylan the right coach to maximize that? So, Duncan, what did you see out of Boylan last year, and do you think he's the, the long-term answer for the Bulls?
3: Well, he's kind of a puzzling choice to, to really tie the future of your young core to. Um, I think that he has... I think he's done better than I expected he would do, um, which is not saying much. I I had very <laughs> very low expectations for him right off the bat. I think that his team, which mutinied on him, I think in week one, <laughs> right. um, had had low expectations for him as well, which may have colored my own. Um, so it's it's funny, like he's not going to be as bad as I thought. That much is certain, but I'm I'm still. I still question why there was no you know there was no job search (laughs) why why they just like immediately like hitched their wagon to him and that was that so i i feel like it's probably going to be okay um i i don't think that he was going to like stunt the group necessarily um but i'm i'm sure that they could have done better on the coaching front um if they had been so inclined, and not just gone with the, the first guy that came to
1: mind. <laughs> right, right. I feel yeah. like they were just so adamant about... You know, uh, Hoiberg just had the reputation of being so, like, player-friendly, so they just wanted to do the pendulum swing in the complete opposite direction, where Boylan comes in with this hard-ass attitude. I think... I forget who described it as, like, shock and awe. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty but, like description. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what, you know, especially... That those first couple days, where as you mentioned, the players almost had the mutiny, it was just kind of a wake up call for the team, where they like, you know, it's it's like the '80s. We need to instill toughness. We need to be more macho. Hoiberg is soft, and our team got soft, and now we're gonna run suicides and be men. Uh, That said, I mean, you know, it did seem like tensions thawed after that very rough start. There was even the point, I think, in like mid March. Where Boylan got ejected and Levine offered to pay the fine for it, which is, you know, a, a promising sign for yeah, that's the
3: moment that's the moment I keep thinking back to as well, you know, because like the relation between coach and players seemed to be what was the worst thing about that, that early start. So for for something like that to have developed, like obviously even more than meets the eye, uh, has gone well in yeah that, in that interaction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it it seems like at least the players don't totally detest him, which is more than you could say after that first week, and that's a good sign. But, yeah, I think it is still fair to question, as Mort alluded to, like, I I don't know that his offensive system has caught up to the 21st century yet. You know, having guys like Carter and Markkanen and yet still insisting on running your offense through Robin Lopez post-ups leaves a lot to be questioned. So I'm excited. Yeah,
2: and, and I, can I just jump in? Because yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I know why. Yeah. He spent 11 years with the Rockets back in the Hakeem Olajuwon era. Mm-hmm. And that was a very post centric offense where it started inside and then it opened up the outside for Kenny Smith and all those guys. Mm-hmm. And he was also there, I believe, uh, during at least the early parts of Yao Ming's career. So again, very post up heavy. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of was where he really formed this ideology of what to do. And then, you know, he was in the TLA and, and I believe of Tim Duncan's career in San Antonio. So he's been around systems where there's been this dominant big man who can, you know, basically control the flow of the game. And I think that really influenced him. Yeah. But it's funny, you, you said something that was interesting in terms of like the Bulls having a player-friendly coach and then following that up with someone who was an hard-ass. So there's, there's a pattern of that. Let's, let's just look back. Let's start with Scott Skiles, who's followed up with Vinny Del Negro, Then followed up by Tim Thibodeau. Followed up by Fred Horberg, And now Jim Boylan. So it goes yin and yang all the way through. Right? Mm-hmm. It's player-friendly, hard-ass. Player-friendly, hard-ass. It's The Bulls really need to find that soft middle ground. <laughs> and they haven't been able to for, what, over a decade? Yeah. More than almost two decades? It's it's uh, That's probably where they're... Primary weakness lies in the front office because they seem to be figuring out their offseason for a change.
1: Mm-hmm. And they've, been, I mean, they found a number of mid lattery picks who turned out to be steals. So yeah, they're yeah. they're doing well other than the coaching, which is more than you could say a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, they did have. I think Thibodeau could have been the right guy if Rose's knee hadn't bent. Mm-hmm. I think they would eventually have won a championship, but. I mean, all the stars aligned there. Like, what What was the odds? Like, 1.7% for the Rose yeah. Draft back in the day. So, you know, yeah. everything just kind of, it was, it was just random. Right.
1: Honey, I switched the family to Boost Mobile and we got so much more. Like what? Well, we got four free LG Stylo 5 phones, four lines for just $25 per line per month. I smashed up the car and unlimited gigs.
2: Wait, did you say you smashed up the car?
1: Yes, it's completely smashed but four free phones.
2: Switch to Boost and get four lines for just $25 per line per month. Four free phones with unlimited gigs, all on our super reliable, super fast nationwide network. Boost Mobile, the switch that gives you more. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. Visit BoostMobile.com for details.
0: This is a message from the emergency stuffed crust warning system. Cheese! Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pizza now has three feet of cheese stuffed in the crust for just nine bucks. I repeat, it has three feet of cheese stuffed in the crust. Cheese! That concludes the message from the Emergency Stuffed Crust Warning System. Get a large Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pepperoni Stuffed Crust Pizza for $9. Top four national pizza chains. Extra Most Bestest Pizza versus large round one topping pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices. Three feet of cheese before cooking at participating locations plus tax. Pizza
1: Pizza. Pizza Pizza. Since we're talking about teams that got absurdly lucky in the draft, let's move to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who (laughs) I guess they didn't get lucky in recent years, but they did have a couple number one picks back in the day. Um, The big question for the Cavs right now, I would say, is they drafted Colin Sexton 8th last year. Then, at number 5 this year, they go Darius Garland, a fellow 6'2 point guard, which you know now you've got two guys who are like 6'2", 175, 180 pounds in your backcourt Duncan do you think those guys are compatible at all like do you think they could be the next Damon CJ or do you think they turn into a poor man's version of Steph and Manta where you basically have to choose between one and the other because these guys can't get you know they're just basically too small to play together full-time
3: I think at some point in the near future they're gonna have to choose between them um I would have thought that draft night would have been the time to choose between them honestly <laughs> yeah. um but you know i I don't think that there's going to be a configurations where they can they can play together um i I think that probably um I think they're probably having like garland coming off the bench for sexton is. Going to underutilize them, especially on a bad team, um, mm-hmm. where they they should be able to afford their both of their like last two first round picks. They should be able to afford them uh, more time to play and learn things the hard way and develop and, and things like that. But like having two guys that play the same position and essentially the same role in that position, uh, it really kind of stunts their ability to develop either of them. I think, and yeah. I can I can see that being being a problem for both and uh, for the organization as well it's it's one of the more puzzling developments I think of the summer
1: yeah I mean you you get it in the extent that they kind of just went best player available at that point but you're right it, it does raise the question of like should they have just moved Colin Sexton on draft night I mean He got off to a really slow start last year. Actually played pretty well once Kevin Love came back. I think he averaged like 20 points at per game after the All-Star break on somewhat efficient shooting. So it's not like he was a total lost cause. But Sexton, I want to say, was second worst among point guards in defensive real plus minus. So pairing him with another 6'2 guy in the backcourt, that's a concern. And neither one of those guys is necessarily... You know, the, the Chris Paul model of a pass-first point guard. They're both kind of score-first guys. So a lot of questions hanging over that backcourt and the long-term viability of it, which will kind of help determine the success of this second post-LeBron era. But they did also have two other first-round picks, uh, Dylan Windler and Kevin Porter Jr. What do you think they get out of those guys this year?
2: Shooting shooting and shooting. Um, hopefully, they'll be willing to accept a lot of off-ball duties because of the aforementioned Garland and Sexton uh, combo. They're not going to see the ball in their hands a whole lot. Um, They're both capable shooters. I think Kevin Porter Jr. had a, had a rough year in college. Um, I, I think he is better than advertised. I just don't think he is yet. I think he's, his potential is pretty great. Uh, if he could become their steady presence at the 2-3 spot, that would be you know a long way in their rebuild he didn't test out athletically well in the combine which surprised a lot of people but it seems like when he's really getting um you know in, in an open court he, he can actually affect the game a lot with this athleticism. anyway which i find interesting and i think that's what they need they need to play a little bit more up um but ultimately like, they're not going to be major game changers in their first season i expect them to just put up some jump shots and play off the established players wherever they are Kevin Love and like no one else uh and that's about it
1: yeah I I think that's reasonable and we were talking about this with Jeff Siegel on the southeast pot where wins and losses don't matter for this team this year the only thing that matters is how their young guys develop how it looks like Garland and Sexton can fit together or can't what happens with Chetty Osmond? What happens with these two young guys? What happens with Larry Nance and Ante Zizic? That's the only thing that's important. Like, I don't care what what Tristan Thompson does. He's just an expiring contract at this point. Even Kevin Love, who we'll get to in a second. The only thing that matters is that he's a good locker room leader. Doesn't matter if he helps them win games or not. It's just the development of the young guys. But... That does raise the question, Duncan. You do have Kevin Love now, who's on. I believe this is the second year of his extension. Is it? It might even be the first year of his extension. Either way, he's under contract for a long time, and he's already (laughs) 31, I believe. I know this is the first year of his extension. My God. Um, Yeah. So what? What do the Cavs do with Kevin Love, who is probably going to be, if they were to shop him? would probably be one of the more desirable candidates out there, if only because of what Mort and I have been talking about for a couple months now. The 2020 Free agent class sucks. So teams might decide to do what the Bulls did this past year with Otto Porter Jr., where they're looking ahead and say, I'm not going to be able to spend my cap space on anyone good. I might as well get a Kevin Love who can help me out, both in terms of on-court fit and Locker room leader. So, do you think the Cavs really start to entertain the idea of a love trade? And if you're the Cavs, what would you want in return for him?
3: I think that uh, trade should be one of their top priorities for the season. Honestly, um, they don't have that much in the way of desirable assets on the roster, and that is definitely way up there. Uh, the contract is obviously not not tremendous, but at the same time. Um, know it's it's what they've got so i think that moving him really should be one of the top priorities for the organization uh as far as a return um i don't know if they need to be especially picky um you know uh draft picks and young players if they can get them um there's i don't think there's really any point in uh trying to shoot for some sort of star in return you know they don't need like cj McCollum necessarily or or something like that I I think that if they can just, like, turn him into a package with upside, um, I think that that would be uh, really the best result for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I saw – I forget who it was. One Cavs beat reporter, it might have been Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com, um, was saying they're – open to the idea of a love trade but only if they get like a blockbuster return which was basically like picks and a young player which seems somewhat unrealistic to me just based on the contract i'm with you that they don't need to get a cj mccollum type like i would very much if i'm the Cavs, i say this pretty much about every bad team but like cap space doesn't matter for you you're not going to get star free agents you're not going to get remotely desirable free agents unless you overpay them so if i'm the Cavs, i offer to take back a bad contract in exchange for kevin love like i call the charlotte hornets up and see if they want to dump nick batum for kevin love as long as you give me malik monk or a lightly protected first round pick or something like that i think that's the best way you can maximize your return on love is say you know just sacrifice some some cap space for a couple years why not he's already if you have him on your roster he's gonna take up 31 million dollars of cap space anyway so it's not like you're even sacrificed you're probably going to be gaining money regardless but i i think that's probably their best bet if they do pursue a love trade
2: sarah rochere would finally have help
1: (laughs) 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 oh god well (laughs) That's a perfect segue to my last question about the Cavs, Mort, because we talked about the Wizards and the Hornets last episode as being contenders for the worst team in the NBA. I feel like the Cavs are probably the other top contender for that honor. So where do you rank them in the hierarchy of awful teams this year?
2: Yeah, the, that, it, I, th- I, I don't understand why you keep insisting on putting Washington there, at least while they have Bradley Beal. I, I, I think just his presence alone just increases that a little bit. Um, I I think it's between Charlotte and and Cleveland really. And in regards to going into like a fully detailed analysis of which one is worse, I I don't care. They're both trash.
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Jay
3: Coin, we can just flip one and find that out.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I I genuinely think Charlotte still might be worse, but it it will be close. It depends on if if and when Kevin Love gets traded, but. I stand by saying Washington's going to be trash. Like we've gone over this. Who is the second best player on that Wizards roster right now? I, I
2: well, I agree with you, but I, I guess I don't have an answer for you. But I, I <laughs> right. still know that Bradley Beal is on that roster. He's twenty six years old. Yeah, and like, he's a superstar. I, I, I just, I, I mean, when I look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, you can argue. Well, Kevin Love is there. I I don't hold Kevin Love is in as high regard as I do Bradley Beal, not even close. Oh no,
1: neither do I. But I, I think the gap between Love and their second best player, like I would take Colin Sexton over anyone else on the Wizards roster right now. Maybe not Thomas Bryant. But yeah, like,
2: I, was, I was I was about to say that yeah. uh, Thomas Bryant is intriguing. Oh, so you don't think the Wizards have the next Giannis on their roster? <laughs> is what you're saying?
1: <laughs> the jury remains out. We will see. Yeah. Maybe we're all okay. super wrong. We're going to have to give them, give them an apology in a couple of years, at which point we're all just going to delete our accounts. Much easier
3: that
1: way. <laughs> Napa
0: now at Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card when you buy oil, air, and cabin air filters. Because let's be honest, you probably don't remember the last time you changed them. So buy all three filters at your local Napa and get 20 bucks back. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa
2: know-how.
0: At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. Limit two prepaid cards per household while supplies last. Offer ends 10:31:19. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off?
1: All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what. Well man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this?
0: It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
1: Uh, Duncan, let's go into your Detroit Pistons now, who are entering what seems like somewhat of a make-or-break year, just based on kind of the, the top players on their roster and their contract situations, which we will get into. Let's first hit Blake Griffin, who... I don't know if it was necessarily, like, his best season ever, but it was his best season in a couple of years last year. Made the All-Star Game. Just really kind of reinvented himself from, you know, Lob City, Blake Griffin was, oh, all this guy does is dunk, he can't shoot. You know, he shot 36.2% from three on seven attempts per game last year. Like, (laughs) That narrative is now dead. He averaged 24.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, 5.4 assists. It was definitely the best Blake Griffin scene, or season we've seen in half a decade. So do you think that's the new normal for Blake, or was that probably the best we're going to see out of him in Detroit?
3: I think that we saw a real renaissance from from Blake, um, and, a, and a reinvention as well for that matter. Um, you know, I, I was... Not a fan of the trade when it happened, when the Pistons brought him in, because I don't think that I was alone in thinking this. But I saw him as uh, essentially a washed-up dunker, um, and from what we saw last year, nothing could really be further from the truth. He had one of the best three-point shooting seasons in, in uh, Pistons history. Um, like, who would have ever imagined that would be a Blake Griffin? Uh, <laughs> that would be a Blake Griffin season. Um, so you know i i think that uh if he can stay healthy i would say another all-star appearance is is definitely on the agenda um you know he had he had a great season and there's really no reason to think uh health aside um that he won't he won't repeat that
1: i i hope so knock on wood yeah i mean (laughs) it was definitely nice to see and it I feel like it kind of slipped under the radar just because it was on the Pistons, with all due respect. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was very um, it was just like awesome to see Blake have such a great season after kind of how his tenure in LA petered out. So fingers crossed he will give us a yet another uh, All Star caliber campaign. More they the Pistons also have some questions lingering in terms of their long-term roster construction. First among them is Reggie Jackson, who is entering the final year of his 5-year, $80 million contract. What do you think his future is in Detroit? Do you think this is his last year there or do you think, you know, they'll they'll entertain re-signing him next summer?
2: I think they'll entertain re-signing him simply because of the lack of alternatives. I mean, it's Derek Rose right now and it's Tim Fraser are the alternatives. Um, I mean, I, I just don't see who they have in the pipeline. It it I, Reggie Jackson had a better year uh, last year, uh, and I, I think he's got some worth. It's just a matter of using him correctly and giving him a little bit more freedom. Um, the offense more or less ran through Blake the entire year, which is not a bad thing by any stretch. Blake was, as Duncan just said, just absolutely elite. But looking over that roster and, and seeing like the very, very weak 2020 free agency class, I could totally see them bringing Reggie back, just out of sheer necessity. The question is, would Reggie want to return?
1: I have no idea. Duncan, any thoughts on Reggie?
3: I think Mort's right on. Um, I don't think that they would be that, that they would enter next summer with no intention of bringing him back if uh, if they don't end up trading him before that. Um, yeah, Reggie has kind of put himself in a situation that is kind of undesirable, um, largely from like playing through injuries the last few years. Um, you know, when he's been healthy, he's been really good, as we saw the last half, last two thirds of, uh, of last season. Um, when he's tried to play through injuries, uh, he has he's not been good. And he, <laughs> he also hasn't gotten the credit for being like a, a real trooper and trying to try get it out um, through injuries for his team that, that needs him on the floor um so he's he's basically been viewed as a bad player when he's played through injuries and um and when he's he's played well and been healthy people have just been like oh he's Reggie Jackson whatever it doesn't matter um so it's it's kind of unfortunate that that's the the situation he's put himself in but if he's healthy if he gets to another season where he's healthy he played 82 games last year um you know i can definitely see the pistons wanting to bring him back and they should also be able to do so at a discount because i don't think that he's going to get uh He's going to get any interest in the open market for uh, for a repeat of that monster contract that and Gundy gave him.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and the other big contractual question for the Pistons is Andre Drummond, who has a $28.6 million player option for the 2020-21 season that he could pick up. But Duncan, you had a piece at Forbes, uh, I believe, earlier this month or late last month where there is a video of him kind of hinting that he might not pick up that option and maybe he will become one of the top free agents on the market so what do you think about drummond's uh future in detroit
3: that is a that is a very murky situation um if he does opt out um it's going to be with the intention of being uh, one of the top free agents in the market next season which will make him really expensive, and uh, I think that would be pretty unappealing for the Pistons to re-up probably a max contract for for Drummond, Um, and at the same time, if he does opt out, uh, you don't want to lose him for nothing, so it it could be a, a really sticky situation if the Pistons are in a playoff chase come February, and they don't have any kind of assurances one way or another if he's going to return. You know, they're they are they're not going to want to lose him for nothing in, in the summer. So um, the organization could have a really difficult situation on their hands if, if they have to choose between making a playoff push with Drummond and then taking their chances on losing him for nothing or, um, or moving on from him and, and making some sort of a trade. Uh, I think if he gets off to a really, really good start next season, um, I think that that could make things all the more tricky for the organization Mm -hmm. simply because the better he is, the more likely it is that he's going to want to opt out and get some of that free agency money. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a really dicey spot as the summer, as, as the season goes on next year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like the hundred million dollar question for the Pistons is, you know, is this the last year of their quote unquote big three, at least (laughs) big three in terms of salaries, just because Jackson is going to be a free agent Truman could be, what happens as they approach the trade deadline do they start to shop either of those guys depends probably where they are in the playoff race but yeah i mean they could be one of the biggest trade deadline stories worth following because they have two guys who should attract some interest on the trade market i would assume especially given how wide open the title chase is this year Mort as our resident Derrick Rose expert and to spare Duncan from having to think more about Derrick Rose on his favorite team. Uh, what do you think Derrick Rose brings to the table in Detroit this year? And to that same extent, what about Markeith Morris
2: drama? Um, well, I mean, a, a passionate fan base, I guess. Enjoy that, uh, Duncan on Twitter because yeah, that Derrick Rose stands, they still exist. Uh, so, so, Rose, I think there's, like, this perception that he just kind of rediscovered himself last year as a three-point shooter. He had one good month as a three-point shooter last year, uh, which basically carried his whole year. Uh, I'm I'm concerned that he's never going to get that jump shot. I don't think it's—I mean, what he's going to be, what, 31? It, it's not really in the cards that he's going to be that long-range shooter. He still prefers to drive to the rim and play what he calls, you know— Playground basketball, you know constantly referencing the south side of Chicago like yeah, we get it. You're from Chicago um, I, I Don't really know what to expect of him. He's going to take a lot of shots. He's You know at times he's a willing playmaker Well, I, I will say he's always a willing playmaker. He just doesn't always produces in that way like he will get tunnel vision Uh, defensively he's very on and off especially after the injuries Uh, he was really really bad right after the the meniscus tear which came on the heels of of the ACL tear and I don't think during the Minnesota games I watched last year I saw him really be significantly better I saw him feel a little bit more comfortable in his own skin and his own body which meant the greater um, I want to say determination on the defensive end but it didn't really always end up being a positive for them so it's going to be a lot of inconsistencies. Uh, the only thing you know with absolute certainty is he's going to attack the rim, and that's basically what you can, you can count him in as. As for Markeith Morris, shooting and a, also drama. Honestly, not really two great uh, locker room additions there. Uh, sorry, Duncan. Um, <laughs> but Markeith is he's you know he's one of those hard-nosed guys who likes to shoot and mix it up inside outside. Um, had a pretty good stint with, with Washington, but he's also, what, 30 now? Is he going to be 31 as well? Not really sure. Uh, but he's up there, and I don't know if he's he's playing, like, new-age basketball the right way. It feels as though he's still kind of stuck on the whole 90s mentality, like, if he gets flustered, he'll punch someone's <laughs> teeth out. Like, um I'm not really high on those acquisitions, to be honest with you. I am, however, very high on two other acquisitions in Christian Wood and Sekou Domboya. Like, I would rather talk about those guys. I mean, I have a hot take coming in. I think Christian Wood is going to be the second-best forward for the Pistons this year.
1: You do this every year. You you think think teams are going to play their players based on talent instead of contracts.
2: I, I know, I'd, I'm optimistic, but that's where I am. And Seiko Dumboya, I'm crazy about him. I don't want to talk more about Derrick Rose or Marky Morris because that makes me sad. Seiko Dumboya, man, I had him fourth on my draft board. I, I love know. him. And the fact that he went 15, I think that's ridiculously low. That's a good haul. I, that dude, This dude has offensively Hido Turkoglu upside and defensively Luol Deng upside. That's, that's a tremendous player if you combine it
1: i mean i will say this about rose and morris if you look at the pistons depth chart outside of jackson griffin drummond and then luke Kennard as well there really aren't that many consistent scoring options so those guys will at least provide some nice offensive punch to the second unit which i think the pistons really needed whether they're the best options out there that's fair to question but i if nothing else i mean like who else on that second unit are you consistently relying on to get a bucket or to create? Christian Wood man he's not going to be on the second unit
2: I'm still standing by it I okay. think he could and look Derek Rose I agree with you that he's going to score the basketball but is, is it going to be in a positive way like if you get tunnel vision and it becomes like a question of volume shooting are you really helping your team
1: if they have no other source of consistent offense Duncan what do you think
3: I'm there with you, Ryan. Um, once once you get past those guys that he mentioned uh, as as scores, there ain't much on that bench. Um, so I I think that it is kind of an indictment on the bench that um, that basically like whatever Derek Ruse can do is better than the alternative. Um, but that is still the situation that we find ourselves in. Like beyond him. Um, there just, there just isn't that much punch. So, you know, it's not optimal by any means, but uh, given the situation the Pistons find themselves in, uh, it's its that or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. There's
2: Spee, man! Come on!
1: <laughs> you're, you're, still, like, you're not going to rely on those guys to create offense for themselves. Like, Spee will be a nice off-ball shooter, but you need someone to get him the ball. And like when
2: Kyrie Thomas will give him the ball. Oh I'm all in on the Pistons youngsters here. I don't. I think it was a waste to go after Derek and Mark Eve I wanted to see the young guys get some minutes here because, look, essentially, what what are you doing? Like you're kicking the can down the road. You're going for the now. Fair enough, but if you're going for the now, Derek Rose and Markieff Morris were pretty lousy alternatives because they're playing you know tunnel vision basketball. I I just – I don't understand what the Pistons are trying to do. But I am, however, very, very glad. And we should congratulate Duncan, by the way. This is the last year that Josh Smith's contract (laughs) counts against their cap.
1: Yes, it is. Momentous momentous occasion. I mean, what you said does raise kind of the big question aside from the Jackson and Drummond trade thing is, like, Duncan, what's the ceiling of this team? And is there a chance that, you know, Tom Gore is the team owner – eventually realizes like as currently constructed we're not going to win a title and do kind of what the clippers did with blake griffin where they say look we can keep treading out a 45 win team at best that will potentially make the playoffs and then probably get knocked in the first round or we could start selling these guys before they become free agents don't risk losing them for nothing." Actually, embrace a rebuild. Maybe we do need to play the Sekou Dumboyas in the Christian Woods of the world. Do you think there's any chance of that happening, or do you think it's it's kind of just business as usual? They're going to be a you know forty-ish win team that competes for like one of the final few playoff spots this year.
3: I think that that is probably what's going to happen this year. I think that they are going to be you know a, a low mid forties win team, um, probably battling for like the six, seven, eight seed, something like that. Um, But I don't think that inactivity should be mistaken for complacency with them necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they have placed themselves in a a really tight box, thanks to the Stan Van Gundy, Jeff Bauer era, uh, where basically like everybody on the roster who wasn't a rookie was under like just a bloated overpay contract Mm -hmm. um you know i think that the pistons are trying to trying to make the maneuvers that avail themselves um in order to get out from under like the different aspects of of that bloated payroll that they had um but at the same time they're also not trying to like take on additional long-term uh money that that cramps up what they can do down the road like um the John Lure deal is a pretty good example I think um, mm-hmm. it was one that nobody saw coming I think I had kind of resigned myself to the idea that they would probably have to stretch him in order to like you know get into the luxury tax if they wanted to make some of the signings that they were they were considering um, but being able to pivot off of lure and, and get that dead money off of the cap and add a starter essentially in, in Tony Snell. Which is another indictment on the roster that Stan Van Gundy built, simply because like now Tony Snow is like the default wing starter. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, again, not a tremendous situation, but they they're they're pivoting off of the uh, the Van Gundy era as best they can. It's just it's just difficult when everybody's making way too much money and nobody wants anybody <laughs> that the Pistons have available. You know, um, mm-hmm. like trading Reggie Jackson up until like basically like last probably like January on or so forth would have been a a, a dramatic um, negative asset basically going out for the Pistons. Uh, I th- I think the same is true of, of Andre Drummond. Um, they both played their stock into higher value over the last few months of the season last year um, but most of the guys who the Pistons would be able to trade and have like any kind of impact at all uh, they would be getting back pennies on the dollar um, up until uh, probably like january or february last year so i don't think the fact that they haven't made a lot of moves um should be mistaken for the uh the, the idea that they don't want to make moves i think it's just they wouldn't have been able to, make, to move anybody for anything valuable
1: yeah no that's a that's a very fair point and a nice reminder that you know that it, it a it always comes down to the team owner right like if they're not willing to embrace a full rebuild it's not going to happen. We've seen that consistently with the Hornets as well, and even the Magic in past years where you know they, they continue to toe the line between rebuild and competing for that 40-45 win threshold. So I'm very interested. I'm genuinely interested to see which direction the Pistons are heading in come early February, because I, I really do think they could be a notable storyline heading into the trade
0: Napa know how. Now at Napa Auto Parts Stores and Napa Auto Care Centers, get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card when you buy oil, air, and cabin air filters. Because let's be honest, you probably don't remember the last time you changed them. So buy all three filters at your local Napa and get 20 bucks back. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa Know How. NAPA Know How at Participating Napa Auto Parts Stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. Limit two prepaid cards per household while supplies last. Offer ends 103119.
1: Blink and they're gone to find out who they are without us. All the more reason we come to West Virginia to introduce them to simple things like rolling hills, walks in the forest, warm campfires. And we hold on to that feeling for as long as we can.
0: Find your version of heaven this fall at wvtourism.com.
1: Let's now move to two actually good teams. We'll start with the Indiana Pacers, who completely overhauled their starting five this summer. They, you know, Darren Collison retires, Thad Young leaves, Boyan Bogdanovich leaves, Victor Oladipo is still recovering from his injury. So they bring in Malcolm Brogdon in a sign and trade. They sign Jeremy Lamb. They have T.J. Warren as well. Uh, more, how do you think they survive that? early season absence from oladipo who the timetable is still not entirely clear when he's coming back but it sounds like he's at least going to miss the first few weeks if not more of the season so how do you see this this war uh yeah warren lamb brogdon trio fitting together without oladipo
2: well i i think oladipo is going to be the guy who ties everything together But I do think they can manage without him for at least if it's going to be just for a couple weeks, maybe a month. But if it's going to turn into like three or four months, like we don't, so far we really haven't heard anything regarding his his injury uh, other than it's kind of unknown. If it's going to be like extended time missed, then you are going to need a playmaker because while Malcolm Brockton is a nice secondary playmaker, he's not a primary one. He's more of a guy who takes you know off the ball shots and and. Moves away from the basketball in that sense. Uh, T.J. is just a scorer, flat out. Lamb as well, not really an on-ball creator. Doug McDermott, very much not one. Uh, Miles Turner as well. It you need someone there. So I think ultimately what you're going to be asking here is what can Aaron Holiday do? Uh, because he's going to be the guy who has to get everyone the right shots. Mm-hmm. These guys, you know, Brockton Turner, Warren Lamb they're not going to create a whole lot for each other because they're just not that kind of player.
1: Yeah, and I'll throw this to Duncan. That's kind of my concern with the Pacers, is even when Oladipo comes back, do they have enough guys who can create offense for others? Like Brogdon can, Oladipo can, but they don't have that like past first point guard that i guess holiday and then they brought in tj mcconnell as well but those guys each have their flaws i don't think either one's gonna start so how do you see oladipo fitting into this mix
3: it's gonna be really interesting because they got a lot of guys that can go out and get theirs now Um, but yeah the uh, the playmaking is definitely going to be uh, a concern. Over the early months of the season, or the early weeks of the season, uh, however the t- the timetable breaks down, um, it, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be weird, you know. Like they've got scoring now, um, but like how are, how is the distribution going to work out? Right. And, uh, yeah. So they are definitely one of the uh, the more interesting kind of question marks um, for me, and it's because of the, like this exactly. Like I, I I really don't know. Like Aaron Holiday is gonna be to the test for this reason um i can't this is what i really can't wait to see you know like we've we've gone kind of through the factory of sadness of the of the central division (laughs) to this point but um the pacers are uh the pacers are going to be a very weird interesting team i think
1: yeah yeah and they also have this question that's been hanging over them in the front court about whether sabonis and turner are compatible long term they signed turner to the extension last year sabonis so is eligible for an extension this year if not he becomes a restricted free agent so it's basically do or die time to figure out whether these guys can work long term so mort what do you think about the sabonis turner pairing and its viability moving forward
2: i'm not too concerned about you know the idea that sabonis is strictly a center i i don't necessarily think that's true I think with his playmaking and the way that he can shoot the ball, he's not a bad shooter. He just didn't take a whole bunch of threes, but he can shoot. He's got a good stroke. I'm just, I'm not concerned. I get that. I mean, he would have defensive issues if he played center or power forward. So it doesn't really matter where you pluck him. Like he'll be defensively limited regardless. So where do I maximize his offensive output? I think that would be at the four. Especially if he shares the court with Turner, who can sort of offset some of the in, the defensive issues on the other end of the floor, and also I I don't trust Miles Turner's offense not yet I'm I'm I've gone on record and then kind of flipped my my opinion on Turner around or not an opinion but I, I was out on Turner and I've decided I'm going to give him one more year to really show what he can do because there's really no reason that he's not one of the stable unicorns of this league there, there's no reason I mean when when Oladipo went down. You would think that Turner would kind of step up and average like eighteen a game and just take on that mantle, and he just didn't. He compl- I, mean, I think he his his shot in amounts increased by like 0. 0.7 or something from the time that Oladipo played. So he didn't. It was ridiculous. So I don't think Turner necessarily is going to be that you know secondary or you know, third guy scoring wise. I think he's going to be like the fourth or fifth guy which allows for a guy like Sabonis to come in and get a lot of buckets and get a lot of assists and kind of be a pseudo-playmaker from the inside. At the same time, you also have Goka off the bench who actually projects to be able to do the exact same thing as Miles Turner offensively, like shoot from the outside, finish shots from the inside, and he's actually very, very aggressive offensively. So it's gonna be interesting to see if, I mean, they can't survive without Turner's defense, obviously, he's gonna get minutes regardless, he's going to be the primary big, But in terms of offense, when they are hungry for a bucket, I I could definitely see Pizzazzi and Sabonis get minutes together. That wouldn't Mm -hmm. shock me whatsoever.
1: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if Turner does take that step forward offensively. Again, it comes down to do they have the guys to get him the ball? Like he's not going to create off the dribble for himself. Someone needs to pass it to him. Do they have enough playmaking to optimize him? We'll find out. Or can Sabonis even be that playmaker? Can you do some high-low action with those two bigs? That, like, I feel like the creativity of the Pacers coaching staff will go a long way toward determining the ceiling of this team. But Duncan, that that kind of raises the ultimate question for the Pacers: is they were a 48-win team last year. I am pretty resolute in believing that had Oladipo not gone down, they would have been a top-four team in the east and you know probably would have beaten boston in the first round or maybe they were even the three seed and you get boston philly in the first round do you think this team as currently constructed has a higher ceiling than last year's pacers team
3: i i think most definitely um they as you mentioned they basically uh staggered to the finish line after uh after oladipo went down um I think that this is a team that uh, can they can hang a lot better now than they than they could with uh, with the squad that ended up kind of limping its way to the to the final uh, the finish line last year. Um, so yeah, I would say they're uh, a decent amount better. Um, I I don't know if I would say they're significantly better, but I think they're pretty clearly better than they were last year.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, yeah it it really again it depends on how it all comes together. But Duncan, you said it before they they have a lot more scoring than they did last year, and that was really what upended them uh, against Boston in the playoffs. Is once Oladipo went down, it was just their defense was still great, but their offense was abysmal, and you know that that was even an issue toward the end of the regular season. They stayed afloat surprisingly well in the immediate aftermath of Oladipo's injury, but. The smoke and mirrors eventually ran out, and their offense just sputtered. So, yeah, having Warren, Brogdon, Lamb to shoulder some of that load should definitely help. Um, I, I think the Pacers are going to be one of the most in- interesting teams because I could see them. I think they're assuming Oladipo comes back in those first few months, I think they're a playoff lock. Uh, but I, you know, I could see them being the third best team in the East if everything breaks right for them. There are a couple teams in that conversation who we'll, we'll get to in the next episode. Let's finish off with the Milwaukee Bucks, guys, who have the reigning MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo and more. Giannis this summer told ESPN that he thinks he's only at 60% of his potential, which is just terrifying to think about. Mm-hmm. What do you think those next steps are for Giannis to you know, further build upon what he did last season where he was already almost unstoppable?
2: So, you know, the, the go-to answer there would be a three-point shot, mm-hmm. but ultimately, I, I'm not sure that is necessarily true because the at the rate and efficiency that he finished around the basket uh, last season was the equivalent of some. In, I don't remember the specific three-point field goal percentage, but it was insanely high. Um, basically, making it a moot point if he had to like if if he was to be a a very very good three-point shooter, it would actually diminish his own efficiency. That it's that ridiculous. Uh, I do think it's a good thing to have in his back, but what I would say is just a f- more fleshed out mid-range game, or a half-court game is probably the better way to put it. When the game slows down, as it does, especially in playoff setting, he needs to be able to not go you know, 100 miles per hour. He does still have that tendency of you know, being a transition player in the half-court settings, where he just turns on the jets and he barrels through the entire lane and drops a lot of buddies and then gets call for an offensive foul. Like he, Sometimes he just needs to calm the hell down. And, you know, he's, what, 20? He's going to be 25 this year, so he's still young. It takes time to understand, like, the pace and space and, and the timing in the NBA. Uh, I, I'm i not really all that nervous about him figuring that out, but that's, that's probably going to be the next step. Remember when Kawhi Leonard said a couple years back that the game started slowing down for him. Like, he had that moment. I don't think we've seen or heard Giannis really say that to that extent and I think that may be the next level where you know he just he walks out on the court and everything starts to slow down. Everything happens in slow motion because he's got the whole game in, in his own hands. When that happens, I, I don't know the specifics in terms of three-point shot or like a better post moves, whatever, but he'll figure it out. Um, so I'm just looking at a more nuanced Giannis Antetokounmpo.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. The the three-point shot will come. I have no doubt that he will get increasingly more efficient with that. But, yeah, I mean, that was the strategy throughout the playoffs was once he can't run out in transition, you know, he was willing to pull up from three, but that's a shot you'll happily concede when he's shooting 25.6%. The the entire goal is just to wall off the paint so he can't get in there because once he does... right. It's lights out. So yeah, if he does add a little bit more of a mid-range game, God help us all, man. hes I mean, this kid's going to take over the league. He already has. But if he if he continues to get better, which I fully expect him to, uh, we're all screwed, basically.
2: I mean, he is this generation's LeBron. I've, yeah. I've said that for at least a year now, and I'm going to continue. This is going to be the best player in the league for the next seven years.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise I just don't know. There's no way to stop him. Like, there are so few players who even give him trouble that i think ultimately you're just gonna have to hope that his team fails him rather than he you know he's gonna get his no matter what it's like can the rest of the bucks get theirs and duncan that's kind of the big question hanging over the bucks is they lost malcolm brogdon this offseason because they were they didn't want to match the four-year, $85 million offer sheet that he was going to sign with Indiana. Um, it, you know, For luxury tax reasons, basically. They did get Wes Matthews to replace him, and then they also got Kyle Korvers, so they do have some bodies to throw in at the two. But do you think either of those guys, or both of those guys combined, can replace what they're losing in Malcolm Brogdon? They
3: will it won't be a replacement so much as um, they they'll fill up some of what is gone basically um, struggling for the words here it, it's there's a lot to replace with Brogdon being gone and I think the fact that ownership wasn't willing to to pay up that amount might actually have almost a as detrimental effect as Brogdon actually being gone um, considering Keeping Giannis for the long term is going to require ownership being willing to do things like that. Um, so I I think that it should be very concerning that um, that ownership wasn't willing to keep him. Um, as far as like the on court absence of of Brogdon, um you know the the Bucks have got some experience of playing without him. He missed a lot of time last year, and they do have these guys like like Corver and Matthews. To plug in now in that in that spot that they didn't have last year, so I think um, while there's there's no real there's no really re- replacement of him with these guys, um, they they should be able to to diminish some of the loss at the very least, um, but yeah, it, it's going to be costly. It's going to be costly, but it's not going to be uh, I don't think devastating necessarily.
1: Yeah, I I think I mean, Brogdon was kind of just their do it all glue guy, so. Matthews and Corver are going to be in more specialist roles. They're not going to be able to... I don't think either one of them is as good of a playmaker as Brogdon is. Um, they're both significantly worse defensively than Brogdon is. Corver uh, in particular, is a great spot-up shooter, so that will work well, and it'll fit well with Mike Budenholzer. So I'm with you. It's not like the end of the world that Brogdon is gone, but I think his departure... Makes them worse, even though they got Matthews and Corver to at least soak up minutes. At the two, to replace him. Uh, more their other big addition this summer was Robin Lopez, Brooks' twin, which is, if nothing else, it's just perfect for the entertainment value alone. Because those guys mm-hmm. just constantly razz each other, and it should be a very fun viewing experience for us all this year with the post game comments and whatnot. But you know, he was on the Bulls last year. He started for the Bulls last year. What do you think he brings to the table for the Bucks?
2: First and foremost, the Lopez brothers will always hold a very special place in my heart because we share the same birthday. So oh. for, regardless what happens, like I'm in on those two. Robin, I think is going to be more of a three point shooter this year. Uh, he, he dabbled with it last year in Chicago and he actually had a pretty good release. And it, it seems that he's kind of wanting to mimic his twin brother and That would be interesting if he came to Milwaukee and got a a type of green light to shoot the three. He can finish around the basket. He's actually very nimble around the rim, and he's got quite a a good package of post moves in him. His arsenal is pretty vast, uh, and and he really got a chance to show it because Jim Boylan force-fed him 25 times a game in the post. Hmm. That's not going to happen this time around because Giannis exists, so I think he'll be... More of a spot-up shooter, you know, glass cleaner, offensive rebounder, um, and he's he's also a decent passer. Actually, like he he will you know find guys on on these weird things. Like he'll get the ball atop top of the three-point line and he'll just throw a bullet to the corner, man. So he's got that in his package too. He's kind of well-rounded. It, it's something that we don't really talk about a whole lot because you know we talk about him messing up with. Uh, you know the, the benny the bull and, and all the other mascots <laughs> around the league that that's primarily what you talk about in regards to robin Lopez but the dude is well rounded. uh defensively he's very active he's kind of slow-footed but not to the extent that it, it hurts the team as much he's pretty great at guarding the rim and he'll communicate he'll scream out so there's a lot of components there that milwaukee's going to enjoy for sure
1: yeah and if nothing else we talked about it with orlando and We'll hit Philly next episode. Um, I mean, the the fact that so many of these teams now, in the East in particular, have gone so big that having a Brook and a Rob, like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see those two share the court at some point this year, particularly if you're talking about a potential Eastern Conference Finals matchup with Philly when they're coming in with Al Horford and Joel Embiid in their starting lineup and you know you have kylo quinn off the bench as well so the the fact that they've got so many bigs now to counteract that i think is actually going to be a could be a big difference maker for the bucks this year so duncan that that raises the ultimate question for the bucks is should they be the finals favorite in the east heading into the season
3: I think with Kawhi gone, I think that they are my current favorite for the uh, for the finals in the East. Um, Giannis is just too good. Um, if he uh, if some of that sixty percent of um, of his potential is is realized next season, um, you know, if he's just that much better, uh, it's it's a terrifying proposition. Um, so for me, yeah, they're my favorites uh, by a decent margin, probably.
1: I hate you, and we will never have you back on the podcast. But I understand your, <laughs> I understand your perspective. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I think it's between Milwaukee and Philly, and I think Milwaukee has is better. Mm, we'll see about that in May, but I think they have at least. Yeah, because
2: you're not colored at, at all regarding this.
1: No, I, I mean, I think they're going to have home court advantage throughout the playoffs. I, I like, I think they're going to finish with the best regular season record in the East. Mm-hmm. I, I think they. Is just going to come down to matchups at that point, like yeah, and and, I, and they're going to
2: win those matchups against Philly, All right?
1: It's possible. <laughs> I, we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see in May, hopefully. But I I do think it's those two teams, uh, like head and shoulders above. You know, we talked about Indiana. They're going to be in that. They should be a safe playoff team. Toronto, Boston, Brooklyn, Miami. Even there are a lot of teams that have. Pretty realistic playoff aspirations and should consider themselves playoffs contenders, but I don't see any of those teams beating Milwaukee or hopefully Philly at any point during the playoffs before the conference finals. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting, but I do give the edge to Milwaukee, at least in the regular season, just the continuity alone. I mean, you still brought back Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez whereas Philly has Josh Richardson, now Horford, it's going to take a little bit more time. Tobias Harris is still relatively new in that system. I mean, he came over in February, but figuring out how that starting five meshes, I think it's going to take a little more time, whereas Milwaukee, you know, second year in Budenholzer's system, should be able to hit the ground running pretty well. And then, yeah, Fiannis is even 1% better than he was last year. You know, he's, I don't think, Milwaukee is at is in danger of as many letdown games as any other team, just because Giannis's talent is so above most of the teams he faces that you know he, they're not going to lose to the Charlotte Hornets ever, because like Giannis just isn't going to allow that. So I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Duncan, again, thank you for coming on. Uh, one more time, please let us or let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work.
3: Yeah, uh, at Duncan Smith NBA on Twitter, and I am the uh, the, uh, the the writer covering the Detroit Pistons for uh, for Forbes.
1: Give Duncan a follow if you want all of the latest trade rumors and updates when they inevitably come for Andre Drummond. It will be very fun. <laughs> in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes or wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek. I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen and special guest Duncan Smith. Have a good one, guys. You too, man.
2: Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer...